0: That's what Focusing I am trying leadership. to do, yeah. yeah Focusing on leadership fine. and how to be a good leader. Mm-hmm. Okay. We might have to cut some of this out. No, this is all gold. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, well, what was my question again? <laughs> mm. Hello there, and welcome to Looking Over Life. We are still recording in person in James's basement. We're trying to get as many episodes recorded in these last few days before I head back to Peru. But this time, we have a guest with us. Actually, a returning guest. Welcome back to the podcast, Andrew. Thanks. Before we get going on today's topic, I'm going to ask James to get us get us rolling by telling us something interesting. What have you got for us today, James? As
1: someone who really likes science, it sometimes annoys me all of the misconceptions people have about the natural world. <laughs> okay. And so I'm going to ask you uh, a common misconception. Sean, what causes the seasons?
0: Uh, Jack Frost causes <laughs> winter. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, the earth is tilted on its axis, and so as it revolves around the sun, the sun's rays hit it at sometimes obliquely in certain places and sometimes more directly and then that creates seasons of hot and cold. Is that right, James?
1: Yes, that's right. Maybe you should start doing this segment instead of me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's right. Um, One of the common misconceptions is that the seasons are caused by the the earth getting closer to or farther away from the sun. People think, well, when it's summer, you're closer to the sun. But if you think a little bit about that, so for instance, whenever we're having our gardens up here in the northern hemisphere, it's winter down there Mm -hmm. or the dry season. Y'all don't have Quite the same winter we do, right? And then when you all are planning your gardens, things are dying up here. <laughs> yeah. and we're preparing for winter. A little bit of thinking realizes that that's not the case. Another
0: misconception is moon phases. What causes the phases of the moon? But you, you didn't, can you explain, or are you going to open up on what that? How how does that happen? You said sometimes it's warm and sometimes it's not. So if mm-hmm. it's not, if we're not close to the sun, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Well, it's exactly what Andrew said.
2: That's what I already said, John.
0: <laughs> but it was pretty oblique to me. But yeah. okay, so in the summer, then that, you, the top of the Earth, okay, so in the Northern Hemisphere is having summer. The top of the Earth is like touching the sun, yeah. And the bottom of the Earth is touching whatever makes ice, <laughs> and then it flips around when yeah. it's winter time. Something like that. Like who switches the who? Who no. switches the axis? It stays the same direction all
1: the time. It's just on one side of the sun it's pointing toward and it's it it keeps that direction and so it goes on the other side and now it's pointing away
0: okay but you're you said on one side of the sun, it's pointing one way, and one other side of the sun is pointing the other. No, it's pointing the same it's pointing direction. The same way in both It's side. just the but, sun rays are different depending on. But the sun goes around the earth. Like we see it go from east to west. Now <laughs> you're just <laughs> being obtuse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moon phase. What, what were you asking? That's another misconception <laughs> we're not going to address. Um, so, moon phases, what causes them? Uh. Moon phases are caused by, hmm, when the Earth... Depends when the Earth is getting in the way of the sun's rays hitting the moon. So you're saying it's the shadow of the Earth. That is the dark part, yeah. So the, that's
2: called an eclipse.
0: Yeah, that's called an eclipse. <laughs> <laughs> well, but we have eclipses once a month, and that's why we have new moon. <laughs> no.
1: The moon travels around just like... The earth goes around the sun. Mm -hmm. The moon goes around the earth about once a month. That's why we call it a moonth. moonth. (laughs) Okay. Sometimes the moon is between the earth and the sun. Mm -hmm. And so we are seeing the backside. Well, it's not the backside. Backside relative to the sun. So we're seeing the side that is in shadow. That's during new moon. Mm -hmm. Then on full moon... The moon is on the opposite side of the earth from the sun. And so we are seeing the side of the moon that is fully lit up, Mm -hmm. which if you think about it, have you ever noticed that whenever the moon comes up and it's this big, gorgeous moon, Mm -hmm. you have this beautiful full moon. It almost always happens right at sunset or just after sunset. And that's because the sun is going down in the west right when the moon is coming up in the east because we are right in the middle.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: That's a full moon. And then when when the moon is about 90 degrees from the Earth, or from the sun, I should say, when when the angle between the moon, the Earth, and the sun would form a 90-degree angle, then you have what's called a quarter moon. Although it's somewhat confusing because you only see like half of the moon, Mm -hmm. but it's called a quarter moon because it's a quarter of the way around. Oh, So there's like a first quarter moon, and then there's the... Full moon, which is would be like the second quarter moon, Mm -hmm. and then the third quarter moon, and then you have the new moon. Mm -hmm. So that's what causes the phases. It's not the shadow of the Earth falling. Because if you think about it, if it's the middle of the day, you look up and you see the moon. Mm -hmm. It's fairly common to do that. And the sun is all the way over here, Mm -hmm. but yet the moon is partially dark. There's no way the Earth could possibly be... Casting a shadow on the moon. If you sit there and think about it. So these are one of those misconceptions. And and I wouldn't feel too stupid if I were you. Because, because I think there's a lot of these misconceptions people just don't think about. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. It's... People... Yeah, uh, some, some smart aleck comes along and asks them, well, what causes the phases of the moon? And they're like, well, I don't know. Part of it's dark and things cast shadows. So, oh, it's the earth casting a shadow on them. Mm-hmm. But if you would take them outside in the middle of the day when half the moon is lit up and the other half is dark, they could probably use some common sense and figure out that's not the case. But – Common
0: sense is in short supply,
1: but <laughs> we you might said talk something... about that some other time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you said something about when it's when it's new moon, when it's all dark, then we're mm-hmm. seeing the backside of the moon. Mm. But, but uh, that's not isn't true. it's not quite
1: true because you always see the same side of the the same face of the moon always okay. points toward the Earth.
0: So maybe you'll have to tell us why that is some other time when we get an episode when we start an episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's because it's tidally locked.
0: Okay. <laughs> It means that it does
1: one revolution
2: and one rotation in the same amount of time as yeah. it does around the Earth. So it's, the same.
1: it's the same as as walking around a tree and the entire time you face toward the trunk of the tree. No one does that. <laughs> well, but assume that you did. You walk around and by the time you have walked completely around the tree, if you're facing the trunk the whole time, you've also done one rotation.
0: Mm-hmm. I think I heard it explained another way. Like if you would tie a rope around the waist of your little sister and then spin her around you at a high, a high rate of speed, she would always be facing you and screaming at you. And that would be, (laughs) she would be tidally locked to you. Yeah. (laughs) Great example. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We want to thank our new patrons. Your sharing with us makes it possible for us to put it more into this podcast. For example, just this week, we paid some money to set up a few things to get our website up and running. You can now find us at lookingoverlife.com. Currently the only thing there is a list of all of our episodes, but we'll be adding things in the future as we need to. As a thank you for becoming a patron, we have an extra podcast for what it's worth in a separate feed for you. For what it's worth will be a short episode we will release in between each of the main episodes it will be about a topic we think might not fit in the lineup or be a full episode of conversation, but they are still fun podcasts. We now have three episodes up for our patrons. Our last one was about the Coriolis effect, which is what makes water go clockwise above the equator and clockwise south of the... I mean, it's what makes water go counterclockwise north of the equator and counterclockwise south the However it is, you need to listen to it and you'll get it right in the podcast. James explains it. So If you'd like to hear that and other episodes of For What It's Worth in the future, run on over to our Patreon page. There should be a link in the show notes. Okay, James, this episode, we are wanting to talk about leadership. Why When, when we had this idea, what was it that made you want to talk about it?
1: Well, when I first came up with the idea of this episode I was we were actually up at Andrew's house. We spent the evening up there with Andrew's and, and Sean's. We were standing outside talking about we should have Andrew on again and we were <laughs> trying to drum up some random <laughs> topic that we felt like we could we could drag him on the podcast. And I thought of the topic of leadership. Leadership is something that's been on my mind lately. I have a family to lead, a mm-hmm. wife and children. Both Sean and Andrew do as well, and we also have varying levels of leadership in our jobs and church. It's, it's something that we all, I know we all want to do better at,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I just thought it would be fun to discuss it with some other people who are kind of in the same, same season of life as I am. I thought uh, Andrew might be a good one to, to pick because, in a sense, he's kind of my boss. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Kind of, you, so
1: you, I can, thought,
0: you thought you were his boss.
2: Yeah, right. So I can come on and talk about how difficult it is to handle James at work.
0: <laughs> I was thinking if it's too simple of a question to ask what a leader is, I'm looking across the table and seeing that Andrew has this whole pile of books about leadership. So maybe I'll put the first question to you. You can either answer that question or you can get us going and thinking about why do we even need leaders?
2: Yeah. So answering the question what a leader is, maybe we'll get into that a, a little bit more. I'm not going to try to answer that quite yet. Why do we need leaders? You know, some people say, well, can't we just have a team and we'll just all get together and do our thing and we'll all be, we'll all just be workers and it'll, it'll just be great. But I have noticed in real life that it doesn't really work. If we try to take that approach, it, The situation doesn't work out very well. We're confused. We don't make any forward progress. And typically what will happen is somebody will just step in and say, here's what we need to do and start organizing or whatever. Why did God assign Moses to the children of Israel or Joshua? Why did he raise up judges and kings? Why did Jesus train apostles and why did they ordain elders? Yeah, it's a fallacy. I think it's a fallacy to think that we don't need leaders. And I think it's also an excuse Uh, Can be an excuse for ourselves because we're not doing our job or we don't want to do it, so we just kind of excuse away. uh, Well, we don't really need to. Maybe we're not.
1: Yeah, maybe we're not quite willing to take the responsibility of being a leader. Could be because I mean you have to make hard decisions.
2: Right. I've been in that situation many times. I'd rather just somebody else do it, take care (laughs) of it. I'd rather just you know stay in the background. Somebody else can deal with the problems. Yeah. Uh,
1: you were talking about the judges. And when, when I was thinking about this topic earlier, preparing notes for this episode, I thought about it's a number of times in Judges. It, it mentions um, that it was a time where every man did what was right in his own eyes. Yep. Right. <laughs> and so it's very much of a kind of an individualistic. Each person kind of did what they thought was best. Mm-hmm. And we all know how that worked out continually. They fell away from God uh, God led them into judgment, and then he had to raise up a leader to then kind of get them back on the right path, and they were fine for a while, and then the judge passed off the scene, and then they went downhill again.
2: Yeah, for example, Gideon, that's what thats what God raised up Gideon to do. Um, everybody was doing what they thought was right, and they were the nation was far from God, and God raised up Gideon. Or you could look at Samson, and you say, well, that guy was a terrible leader, but <laughs> um, he still— God called him. Uh, it was very obviously that God called him, and he, and God used him in that way. And even if he wasn't perfect, uh, he still made a difference.
1: Yeah, there, there are quite a few examples of leaders in the Bible, both good and bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's still leaders today, both good and bad. And so I guess uh, eventually we'll be talking about some of the things we can do to not be bad leaders.
0: You were saying, Andrew, that if we try this experiment where we're just a team— everyone's equal, but some are more equal than others. Were you or you meaning like almost automatically that someone will become the de facto leader even in that sort of equality for all teamwork?
2: Yeah, there will, there will be someone, and this is one way you can define a leader is just saying a leader is someone who influences other people. And so there will be someone who will end up in that position of influence and people will just kind of tend to do what he or she says that's something
1: that I experienced a little bit in college. We had to do these group projects, which were horrible, <laughs> usually because the other people in the group tended to not do very much. And not not all of the group projects I was involved in, but probably more than half, I ended up having to kind of step in and get things going because nobody was doing anything and everybody was waiting on the next person. Well, also, I was, I was a couple years older than most of the other students that were there, I was I was just ready to get something done. I think that was fairly influential in my, I don't know if you would say leadership development. I was, in a sense, forced, you know, because I wanted to get a good grade. I was forced to have to step in because nobody else was. You cared, and so then that made you a leader? Is that, is that, <laughs> is that what you do? Well, I wanted a
0: good grade, so uh, it's a little selfish, maybe. One end of the spectrum is that push for we're all equal, and that's somewhat of a popular idea in lots of ways in our society today. Everyone's equal. And so we don't need leaders. We don't need government. It's kind of this push toward anarchy. But it doesn't work. It seems like people always will have a leader. Even the anarchy group has a leader that's (laughs) leading them. So I was curious, what percentage do we know, or can we know, what percentage of people need to be leaders like if you have five people one of them be a leader and if you have 10 then you have to have two and that sort of thing do you have any experience with that you lead larger groups andrew than either james or i do
2: it depends how you're defining it well that's all you know your question that was in the notes about what percentage of people are or should be leaders i want to say everybody should be to some degree right
0: Okay, so you're saying we're not a team. Everyone's a leader. So no, we're I'm gonna saying be equal that, one I'm, way or the other. I'm saying
2: that everyone has their own sphere of influence. For example, <laughs> okay. I lead my family, but within my family, my wife leads when I'm not there. Um, various of my children will lead in different ways. Like I can delegate uh, to them, or depending on the situation, my oldest son may be in charge. He becomes the de facto leader if Loretta or I are not present. Whenever you're in a situation where other people are looking to you for influence or direction, then you're a leader. And that applies to almost everyone at some point. Mm -hmm. But now if we're talking about in the church, what percentage of the people need to be leaders? Well, I mean, there's only a few that are called to the ministry or at work. There's like we can't have all chiefs and no Indians. We can't have all (laughs) Indians and no chiefs. So I don't I don't. I'm not going to give a percentage.
1: Yeah, I like that thing of that everybody has to be a leader to some extent because I'm a leader in certain projects, but then I like to be able to delegate to others and let them maybe take care of, of working with somebody else who needs some, some leadership, some input. If everybody would come to me for input, I would never get anything else done. And then, yeah, when it comes to family, that very much is, is how it works. You have the husband and the wife both have to serve as leaders at
2: different times. And so if you, uh, if, if you take the approach that one, that I'm the leader, everyone else is a follower, you end up with a dictatorship, mm. but that's not what we want either. And so at work, like where I work, um, I have various supervisors and managers that I work with. Sometimes people will bring me a question and I'll say, that's not even mine to deal with. Like you should be talking to your supervisor about that. Or Or if the supervisor comes to me and I think that he should just take care of it, you know, I'll talk to him about it, and then he can just take care of it. Because I don't want to be a dictator.
1: Mm -hmm. One thing you said, you were talking about there's only just a few people called to the ministry, and that is the case. I mean, most congregations have maybe three or four men. You might have a bishop, a couple pastors, a deacon or two, and that's usually about it. But you have people that are—you might have Sunday school superintendents and— Somebody's on this committee or that committee. And in a sense, you could get to where almost the majority of the people in the church have some form of leadership that they have to do. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier. Everybody has a certain sphere of influence that they're responsible
2: for.
0: Thinking about different applications needing maybe different amounts of leadership. You know, in school, you only need one teacher for a schoolroom of children, that sort of thing. I was remembering a book that I read by Dr. Kevin Lehman, who became pretty popular for his studies into birth order. And I think in his research, he said that when you have children, particularly in a a family, say a biological lineup of children, he found that the max number of children that you could have without a leader personality rising up was four, three or four. So if you have a large family, eight children or 12 children, you'll start seeing little groups maybe three and this this uh, this son leads those three and the next four are kind of led by the this older sister and the bottom three are led by some younger brother that sort of thing and i noticed that in teaching school on the playground that that was often the case where you had groups of three or groups of four and then they had their own pecking orders among them but i think the reason i asked this question was a little bit what i think you're getting at andrew is Is there a direct or distinct, maybe, dichotomy between leaders and peons? (laughs) (laughs) Or is it a bit more, I don't even know what the word is, where I think you were implying that a little bit, that, yeah, you're, if you look at an org chart, you're somewhere, you know, maybe at the top or at the bottom, depending how you set up your org chart. But (laughs) in a sense, you answer to other people within that org chart and so who's leading whom in that sort of uh, either a corporation organization or a, a body set up yeah a dictator
2: will just assume that he is the leader and no one else has that right or no one else has any input that is worthwhile to give and so he just does everything I'm trying to th- put this into words here but like, it's a partnership like just because someone is my direct report doesn't mean that We don't work together or whatever. Like we sit down and have a conversation and we, they give their opinions and we talk together and we come to a conclusion. And it may be, depending on what the matter, on on what the subject is, like I may have the final say, but we don't arrive at the final say just by me spelling out exactly what needs to happen. It's a, it's a working together and no, nobody has all the answers. So that's the way it has to be if it's going to work well.
0: Leadership and teamwork are not exclusionary ideas. Definitely
2: not. No, certainly not.
0: All right, Andrew. So you're you're giving this idea about dictators, which are people that we you're saying we don't want to be as leaders. the The leader uh, needs to work with his team. You said so. He does have more responsibility. Does that mean like shouldn't he be out there on the front lines, leading the charge, um, getting his hands dirty, doing? Doing the work, is that what makes a leader then? <laughs> um, It can be. So when
2: I'm at home working with my family,
0: if I'm sitting in
2: the lazy boy, um, which can be a temptation sometimes, and <laughs> telling my children, do this and do that and go out in the yard and do the other thing, but I'm not there with them and showing them how to do it or sh- like showing them actually the steps in the process of how to do it and also showing them that I'm willing to do it with them, then I'm not leading well. I'm just giving orders mm-hmm. on the other hand a leader's job isn't always to we'll go back to to the definition which we need to we need to broaden our definition at some point here but <laughs> to to use the simple definition of influencing people you can influence people and you can lead without being right beside them all the time and doing the same thing that they are that mm-hmm. doesn't it's not necessary
1: yeah one thing that that i think of when i think of leaders and their their role is Almost like a general sending their troops into battle, <laughs> where they, they're not necessarily putting themselves on the front lines. They have kind of the bigger picture in mind, and they're directing things. They can see, they can see what needs to happen maybe better than somebody who is, is right there in the action. They have a, a bit more of a dispassionate view of things, and so they can give more objective direction. But at the same time, it's the generals or the leaders that are most loved that that do associate with the people that they're leading. They're not just they're not really distant. They're in there. It's not like they're uh, they, yeah. To continue the military uh, metaphor, you know, they're out there. They they visit the troops on the front line to get their boots dirty. They're not just back in the back sipping on champagne in there. <laughs> it's kind of a picture that helps me.
2: Well, thinking about the family example, so <clears throat> I talked about. I shouldn't be sitting in my armchair all the time telling my children what to do. But on the other hand, like if I if I would try to abdicate my leadership responsibility, and let's say give one of my twins, say, you're the leader of the family for today. He's seeing a tiny slice of the world through his own eyes.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and he doesn't have the experience, just the life experience or the wisdom to be able to look at a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And so he needs his mom and dad to say, Here's what we're doing as a family. Here's the values that are important. And then this is what drives how we how we live. Mm-hmm. I think the same is true in organizations too. You know, when I, when I was a teenager working in uh, one little spot of the organization, like I had opinions about things, but I didn't have any breadth of experience or, and I was not seeing anywhere close to the whole picture, not saying I do now, but I would not have been able to lead from that position just because I can't. I can't see all the things that a leader needs to be able to see to, to help the organization. To say that, well, we don't need leaders. We should all just be down on the front lines doing the work. The organization will, will crash fairly soon if, if that's the approach that is taken.
0: One of the questions I wanted to ask you all, when you hear someone say leadership or a leader, do you have a picture in your mind of what that is? James, you use the metaphor of a general and an army. Is that where your mind often goes when you think of leadership, or was that just something you pulled up on the spur of the moment? Uh, That was something that I pulled up as far as the relationship
1: between a leader and the troops Mm -hmm. or the the people that he's leading. As far as he's got a bigger picture, he's not necessarily on the front lines, but he knows what's going on. Mm -hmm. So what do you
0: think of when you think of a leader? Or maybe you don't think in pictures the same way that I do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I do. <laughs> I think more in abstractions, I guess. <laughs> is, there, is there an abstraction associated with leadership? <laughs> Andrew, do you have one?
2: Well, I tend to think I'm a leader in an organization, and so that I tend to think about things organizationally, but also the church, too. Church leaders, organizational leaders, they're people that have a vision for the future about where the church or the organization should go. They care about people, and they um, work on solving problems, and they're just there to to serve. And in my mind, leadership is tied a lot to the future. A leader thinks a lot about the future, mm. or he should, because that's where we're going. I mean, minute by minute, we're going into the future. And if no one's thinking about where we're going and how, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's it, we're going to end up in a disaster. So I don't know. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, I think so. I often... Think of a shepherd when I think of leadership, Mm -hmm. but when I was younger, I used to often think of a king, and so I don't know. And when in thinking about preparing for this episode, I that just came to mind that there's been that shift in in my thinking, and I suppose that has come just with life experience. But yeah, when I was younger, maybe a teenager, when I thought about leadership, I thought about the king. You know, he gives mandates. And he just tells the kingdom what to do, and it happens, and that's leadership. But now I think more of a shepherd, and having <laughs> having been as somewhat of a shepherd or a goat herd, I suppose in Peru, that is less romantic than it used to be. For, like when you think of a shepherd, that it's just you know that he's floating about with his sheep going wherever they're supposed to go, and that's not the way a shepherd or a go- goat herd leads. But you do have to know your animals. This this (laughs) analogy is breaking down quickly. You have to know your animals in a a different sort of way than at least I think of a king. So do you have to occasionally hit your goats with sticks to make them go in the right direction? (laughs) (laughs) We don't know if PETA is listening to this podcast.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the shepherd metaphor is a, yeah, it's a very biblical one. And it has a, it has the connotation of caring Mm -hmm. that I think is a key piece of leadership.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like what you said about leaders see the future, because as I've gotten older and now I have young children, I very much think about the future. And also at work, when I had just started working there, I was very focused on the next couple of days, the next couple of weeks. As I've kind of backed up and started looking at projects differently, more in a leadership role, I have started thinking much more about the future. Like, what's happening in three years? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not what's happening right. in three days or
0: three weeks. And mm-hmm. I, five years ago, I would not have been thinking that way.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, James, you said in college that you often became the de facto leader in your, in your group projects. Mm-hmm. That made me wonder, are some people more apt to be leaders? Or is it the circumstances that cause leaders to happen? I've told people
1: before that... Which I can't remember exactly how I was when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. But I did actually become a foreman on the roofing crew. And I'm not sure if that was because of my leadership abilities or just because I was more experienced than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Those are not necessarily the same things. Right. But then I started going to college. And yeah, I had to – I had public speaking. I had to give speeches. So that's something that leaders do some, Mm -hmm. having to get up and up in front of people. And then I had to take leadership in – class projects. And then I started teaching school and there I had to very much be a leader. Right. And I think I would say, I'm not sure if it necessarily changed me or if maybe it brought out something that was there. I don't know, but I definitely know that I would say my personality or my, I'm not quite sure what to call it, changed from when I was a teenager to when I was older. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, some of that could just be getting older. So I'm not quite
0: sure where to pin the calls. Whether it's nurture or nature. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What do you think, Andrew?
2: I think it's some of both. Some people have natural strengths or tendencies that will tend to push them toward taking the lead or being looked up to as a leader. On the other hand, some of those same qualities, and I'm not sure if I could pull out some specifics here, but I think some of those same qualities, if they are not harnessed by Spiritual qualities of leadership will actually cause the person to crash and burn mm. as a leader because they're not approaching it in a in a humble or in a godly way. If that makes sense,
0: um, put some put some meat on that a little bit. Like give give me some sort of example, but don't don't use me as an example. Use somebody else.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, if someone that, someone can be a very confident person and feel like they have a lot of answers, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, Other people may tend to look up to that person, but with, with those qualities, if those qualities are not unchecked, uh, for example, if I'm very confident and think I have all the answers at some point, I'm going to just fall flat on my face because I don't have all the answers and I become overconfident Mm. and I will lead myself and the people, anyone who happens to be trailing behind into a disaster kind of situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder,
1: I mean, I can't think of any specifically, but I would say there's a lot of a lot of church movements that have probably mm-hmm. fallen prey to that, where you have one or two or three charismatic people that think they have the answers, right. and then they had a blind spot, and then that
2: movement falls to pieces. Or someone who has a brilliant business idea and gets some other people all fired up about it and, and perhaps hasn't stopped to think it all through, and maybe he ends up, the business goes under, and it negatively affects the people that, like the employees, for example, that he brought in or whatever.
0: hmm so I, I think probably we all have something in our lives that makes us charismatic, but there are some people who seem to be just charismatic. I think that's their main quality. Yeah. Like I think of charismatic, I think of Hitler. Ah, uh, I don't. I think of Joel <laughs> <Yeah>. Osteen. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> now
0: I need to come up with someone else. I'm not sure who I think of. <laughs> Okay, and I'm not rec- uh, recommending uh, either following Hitler or Joel as Dean yeah, but um, like, yeah, charisma, I think we have two very different views of what charisma is. One is right, and the other is wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to say which <laughs> is one or the other. All right, James. See, so you have charisma when when you're talking about uh, when you're talking about the periodic table. So, and I ask you you know, are you this person that's apt to be a leader because of, you know, your college projects or becoming a, a um, foreman on your roofing career, whatever? We we've here, I think, at least I have heard this idea that one is called to be a leader. Mm-hmm. So is that true? Andrew's saying everyone's a leader in like from the time they're toddlers on up in various places. I think maybe James, you mentioned calling already once before, so where where does this how do we get How do we bring those two ideas together, called to be a leader or everyone's a leader? It's an interesting question
1: because I do think what what Andrew and I have said, that we are all called to be leaders in some capacity. But it does seem like there are some people that are more called to be leaders. Either they feel a calling or they are called as far as being ordained, Mm. which is um, yeah, much more – obvious calling. So I think you do have people that are, there are people that are called to greater responsibility and leadership. So I think we all are leaders to some, some aspect, Uh, the whole thing of uh, somebody's following you, that little song. Mm -hmm. I think there's some truth in that song, but then there are people that are called to greater responsibility and you can only have, but so many of those people. Mm -hmm. That's where it gets a little bit dicey in our culture because you're not really supposed to want to be a leader, and some in some cases you should almost like if you're not hauled kicking and screaming into leadership, well then you're
0: just being a little too eager. <laughs> when you say our culture, you're talking about Anabaptist culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Thinking about what is a leader, what is leadership, maybe is helpful for us here because to to aspire to leadership is to aspire to servanthood and to sacrifice for the good of other people.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's not something that, that I naturally aspire to my carnality would wish for like the position of leadership, but not the actual responsibility and the call to service that leadership is. Maybe there would be more people called to leadership or more of those people that we view as, as leaders, strong leaders, um, Maybe there would be more of those if we were more committed to servanthood and sacrifice. There's a phrase that I heard. I was listening a number of years back to a talk by Javen Bender. It's actually on YouTube. His talk about uh, leading with a servant heart. And a phrase that he said in there, which he took from Mark 10, was to lead is to serve and to serve is to sacrifice. And that really hit home to me with where I was then. In my leadership, because I I wasn't doing that very well, and I don't like to sacrifice. <laughs> um, but there's a direct line between leadership and sacrifice, and, and it's service. That's what leadership is. In that talk, Javen told a story about a chicken and a pig who wanted to do something really nice for the farmer. The chicken goes to the pig and is like, hey, let's do something really, really nice for the farmer. We can provide him with with a really great breakfast tomorrow morning. I'll supply the egg and you supply the bacon. <laughs> and we, and I am the chicken too much, right? I, I'll give, but uh, the pig, the pig, what he was giving, that's that real sacrifice there, right? Because <laughs> he was giving everything. And of course, it was the chicken telling him to do that. He wasn't giving up much at all. When, uh, when Paul says that to aspire to the office of a bishop or an overseer, I forget exactly what the words are, but basically he's saying it's a worthy thing to aspire to. We should look at that a little differently than I think we naturally tend to. How do we look at it? Well, I think a lot of people would say it's wrong to aspire to be uh, the bishop or whatever, because the bishop is viewed as this high uh, person with a lot of authority in the church, when actually a bishop is called to to a far greater level of service and sacrifice than most of the rest of us are. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we should be willing to be there, but I'm afraid that I'm, it would be hard for me to be willing to do that.
0: Jesus dealt with this with his disciples. They said they wanted to reign with him. They wanted to, to rule with him in, in the kingdom. And Jesus told them, you don't know what you're asking for. And they, right. they said, yeah, we do. We want, we want to be sitting on your right and left hands. You know, We want to have that high position of prestige or, or whatever. And Jesus asked them, can you drink this from the same cup that I'm drinking? And they said they would be willing to. And he told them, you're going to have to, but you don't know what you're asking for. Right. Yeah. And that's what, okay, if a young man, for example, you know, we're all men here. So that's definitely where our minds go. But if a young man says, I feel called to be a leader. Often what I hear is, I feel called to be a boss mm. in, in the in the 19. 50s version of what a boss means, you know, where you just (laughs) come out of your office and and bark at the minions and go back in and expect work to get done. What we should do, we older gray-haired men here, (laughs) when we hear a young man saying he feels called to be a leader, is take him to that same idea that Jesus talked about and said, listen, dude, you don't know what you're talking, you don't know what you're asking for, because if you really desire that great work, like Paul was talking about, you're asking to give... Everything you have away to other people, sacrifice your life, as it were, for others. And so if you're thinking about, should I be a
2: leader? Am I a leader? Can I be a leader? Think about the kind of life that Jesus lived. Was Jesus a leader? Yes. That's a, that's a duh question, I suppose. <laughs> but he didn't act like what might be a commonly, uh, commonly thought of as leadership. Here's a few questions that we could ask ourselves. And also I'm giving these in somewhat in the context of also thinking about Jesus and how he related to people. Am I ready for leadership? I'm stepping all over my toes here by by giving these questions. This is going on record. I hope you know. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's the bad part about this. Do other people's failures annoy or challenge me? Do I use people or cultivate people? Do I direct people or develop people? Do I criticize or encourage? Do I shun or seek out the person with a special need or problem? And that list came from J. Oswald Sanders' spiritual leadership book. But when I look at that list and think about my natural tendencies, I'm not living up to that the way I should be yet.
0: I have been in positions of responsibility various times in my life. I guess I currently am still being a pastor, a missionary pastor in Peru. But what I've learned at different times in studying, reading books about leadership and going to older men and asking them, what have you learned about leadership? Is that we have younger people tend to think that leaders need to have the answers. Mm -hmm. And from, from these answers, which are apparently innate in leaders, they just direct the the group and what i've found in my experience and i think holds true in leadership in general is the leader is not responsible to have the answers but the leader is responsible to ask the right questions Mm -hmm. and then to pull the team together whatever size that is to to find the answer by asking the right questions and then together come up with some solution that that we can employ I think
1: that that's definitely true. I mean for one, if we think we have all the answers, well we're already have some problems to deal with. I mean, we talked about humility and if you think you have all the problems, you're probably not the think you have all person. the problems. <laughs> yeah, I do think that it's valuable for us to be able to ask questions and ask other people to be uh, to be humble enough to admit when we don't know the answers and go ask somebody else that's maybe closer to the issue or the problem, ask them what their opinion is. And you might not necessarily always agree with them or go with what they say, but you definitely need to hear them out and take that in consideration very seriously. But yeah, I really like what you said about leaders know how to ask good questions or know what questions to ask.
2: Yeah, I strongly agree with that. I'm still learning how to put it into practice, but it's easy to feel really insecure when people come to you with a question Mm. and you don't know the answer because you have this sense that, well, like I'm supposed to come up with an answer. Mm-hmm. What are they going to think if I don't know? If I mm-hmm. say I don't know, it's like, well, they're gonna they're gonna see right through my facade and, and see me for who I really am, <laughs> or what I'm not. But that's not the case. People people don't expect leaders to be to know everything or to be perfect. So yeah, you're right. I very often sit down with my team and just ask questions, and we have a discussion together, and then we can arrive at a conclusion. It is far stronger. You know, I've gone into meetings before where I was for example, chairing the management team. And uh, we had a particular item for discussion and I sort of knew where I wanted to come out. I thought I I knew what the right answer was, but I've tried to learn to go into those discussions and keep my mouth shut and ask questions. And I can't tell you how many times we've had that discussion and I come away. We didn't come up with the answer that I thought we were going to, Mm -hmm. or the answer that I thought was right. But if, If I'm the guy with the answers and I stand, if I'm too proud to admit that other people have a different perspective and it's a good one, so much is lost.
0: That art of listening really really takes some cultivation. I think about just just a simple conversation between two people, James and I are talking. Sometimes we think that, you know, I could think when James is talking, that is my time for me to go ahead and gather my ideas so I know... What I want to say, and when he's finished saying whatever he's saying, then I can go ahead and express my thought. That's not really listening. The same holds true in a, in a leadership, like when you're when you're leading a team. If you're coming, like you said, sometimes to your team and you already know what the answer is, then it can be difficult to actually hear good good ideas from them because you have something laid out. I'm not saying just come without <laughs> having done any any background work but it does take a special sort of of skill. You have to cultivate a certain skill of listening where you're actually taking stuff in and not just letting it wash over you until you get to present your idea.
2: Um, back to what I was saying earlier about sacrifice, a book that I read three years ago, maybe, The Way of the Shepherd by Kevin Lehman and Bill Pentec. It talks in here about well, it's a little bit of a cheesy book, actually. I wasn't sure if I liked it first when I read it, <laughs> but, but there's some really good principles in it. And one is the idea about someone has to pay for your leadership. That ties in with the idea of sacrifice. So who's going to pay for it? If you think about a shepherd, if the shepherd kick, kicks back on his heels and uh, is lazy or whatever, he'll have sheep that are weak. Uh, that don't get sheared properly, their hooves don't get taken care of, they get diseased, they don't have good water, they don't have good food, and your herd or your flock, whatever you want to call it, is very soon paying the price for, for that shepherd's lack of leadership. On the other hand, if you have a leader, a shepherd, who is very disciplined and really cares about his sheep and puts himself into taking care of them, you have a flock that prospers. And uh, in this book talks about how that carries over into other kinds of other types or situations where we lead. Basically, leadership requires that we take care of people. And if I'm not willing to pay that price, the people suffer. And that can happen in a bunch of different ways. So Jesus talked about, he's the good shepherd, and he talked about how that is different from a hireling, the different response that a shepherd will have versus a hireling. So a shepherd steps in and is even willing to put himself into danger to take care of the sheep, whereas a hireling will run off when the wolf shows up. Why might we act as a hireling? One of the reasons is because we don't, if we don't place high value on the people that we care for. Mm -hmm. If I don't care about my family, for example, if I'm not really concerned about their spiritual welfare, their eternal destiny, or even just things like, do they have food and clothes? If I'm a lazy dad, my children will suffer and will pay the price for a long time, maybe forever. Mm -hmm. Same is true organizationally. If I'm lazy and don't do my job, people will suffer. They'll be frustrated. There's a lot of different things that could happen, say, for example, in a business or even in the church. And so someone pays, the concept that someone pays for your leadership, if you are a real leader, you will pay for it yourself and not make your people pay for it. That's Mm -hmm. a powerful concept. The way you explain that, it seems like that if if you pay
1: the price, there is not as much cost otherwise. In other words, it, it doesn't take as much to take care of your people, doesn't take as much time and energy as it would if you let things go to pot. And take it easy on yourself, then there's there's much more damage, much more
2: cost than if you just would
1: have stepped up in the first place. Mm-hmm.
2: And the cost is spread out over many, many people. Whereas if I'm willing to take that burden and that cost on myself, then in turn it can bless many, many people. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, again, Jesus is a perfect example of this where he suffered and he gave his life and that provides that has provided eternal life for many, many millions of people. And that was because of one man's one man's sacrifice. So we're not going to have that kind of effect. And yet we're called to walk in Jesus steps as that kind of leader.
0: The way of the shepherd by Kevin Lehman. So this is the same Dr. Kevin Lehman that wrote the book, the birth order that I was talking about earlier in the podcast. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Okay. Toward we're getting toward the end of our topic here before we, before we close out, I'm wanting to try to do a lightning round of characteristics of good leaders. I think we're just going to go around the table here and give a characteristic and say something about it if you want to, and we can make it as short as or long as we need to and throw out um, a dozen or a couple of dozen maybe in a couple of minutes. James, get us going with one.
1: One good characteristic of a leader would be willing to learn, Mm -hmm. we have to know we don't know everything. And so we need to be willing to learn from others.
2: Uh, A characteristic that I believe is important uh, is wisdom. Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when I think about the fear of the Lord, I think about understanding who God is, understanding who I am. In what is my place in relation to him and to other people and if i have that kind of perspective that kind of wisdom it will make a huge difference in the way that i lead
0: asking questions is a quality of a good leader because when someone comes to you with a problem a lot of times they they might say uh, you know i am i feel this way or i'm stressed out about this thing or we have this problem and it can be easy to just say here's a solution But if you start asking questions and asking questions and asking questions, getting drilling down into the problem, you could find that the actual problem is something totally different than what they came to you with. And then you can really work from the root of the issue and have a much better solution that way. Um, Being very tactful when you speak to people. If you're a leader, you're probably going to have
1: to have some difficult conversations with people. And you need to tell them some hard truth about the way that they've been acting or what they've been doing, but you need to be able to say it in a kind way that doesn't cause them to immediately throw up their defenses and just go frigid. You need to be able to
2: give them truth in a very kind, loving way. Communicating is another important one. Sometimes I get the feeling that leaders think that other people can read their mind. In fact, (laughs) I've probably been guilty of acting that way myself. I have found it extremely frustrating when working with other leaders when they don't communicate and they don't let me know what's happening or what the issues are. And so something that I think is important and I'm trying to work on is just keeping everybody in the loop about what's happening, about um, issues that are coming up things that we need to talk about, even just letting people know what I'm thinking because people can't read my mind. And if I act like they can, they'll get frustrated.
0: Compassion is another good attribute of a leader. When I think about the sort of compassion that we have, I often think about Jesus when he looked out over Jerusalem and he was moved to, to he was weeping because of his compassion. and working with people, particularly people who think differently than you do or do something different, come to some conclusion differently than you would have. It's easy for me, but I think it's easy for people in general to assume that that person either just wasn't thinking or they were malicious in some way or some other bad intention that they have. But if we're compassionate and realize this is just a person like I am and most people generally are doing the best they can to have a good life, then it does make some of that tension go away.
1: Try to remember that there's always two sides to a story. Oftentimes, if you're leading, somebody will come to you with a complaint or concern about somebody else that you're maybe leading. You need to go, instead of spreading that around, you need to go maybe talk to that person that they they were talking about and see what their side of the story is. Maybe the first person that came to you, they... Weren't telling you everything that was going on or they didn't see things quite as clearly as they could have. Yeah, just kind of uh, to give people
2: the benefit of the doubt. Mentoring and training other people are things that leader is something that leaders need to do. And it's easy. This is one of the things that I find easy to be lazy about. Thinking about my children, for example, that my children have so much to learn. I'm, I'm assigned by God, actually, to teach them. I can save them a tremendous amount of hard knocks if I can uh, line upon line and precept upon precept, mentor them and train them in the
0: right ways. Planning is something that every leader needs to be good at. You talked about, Andrew, that one of the characteristics or one of the, yeah, one of the attributes of leadership is thinking far down the road. But that takes time and effort to sit down and try to figure out what is going on. And if you don't, schedule that. It's not going to happen and you're going to end up crashing and burning like we mentioned already. I think a vision for the future needs to
1: have very much looking as far out as possible. Obviously, we can't predict the future, but we can sometimes see where trends are going. Not just that, we need to maybe talk to other people that have been on a similar journey. Uh, For instance, church leadership, there's lots of, there are a lot of examples of where Decisions have gone well and decisions have not gone well, and that's the same in business. And so have a vision for where the business is going, where the church is going, where your family should go, depending on what type of leadership you're called to. Then, like Sean said, plan to to see how to make that
2: mm-hmm. actually become a reality. Mm-hmm. Making decisions, if you're a, an organizational leader, especially with multiple uh Layers of other leaders reporting to you, you have to be okay with the fact that by the time a problem gets to your desk, it's not an easy problem. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. I remember feeling very frustrated when I first started as a general manager at Christian LA. It felt like I would just, it's like, if I could just get past this problem, then it would be great. And then <laughs> and there's another one that pops up. Finally, um, I just had to learn to be okay that that's my job. I have to be okay to make decisions and that's just the way it is. And I can't, trying to get out of that is just abdicating responsibility. So don't chafe against making decisions. That's what you're, that's what you're called to do.
0: I'm not quite sure how to say this one. I think it's partly humility is what I'm wanting to get at, but humility is kind of a broad characteristic. But what I specifically want to focus on is being willing to acknowledge when you're wrong. Which ties directly to humility. But leaders do make mistakes. They make the wrong decisions, or Mm -hmm. they don't listen well, or they are not tactful, or whatever. And sometimes we can, again, I forget which, maybe both of you mentioned this thing of feeling like I have to present a certain persona to the people that I'm leading. And if they see a crack in that, then this is all going to fall apart. But it does tremendous good for, your, for yourself, but also for your team. If you're willing to say, hey, I was wrong. I said that wrong. I did that wrong. Will you forgive me? What I'm getting
1: ready to say, I'm not sure if y'all will agree with or not. <laughs> we'll cut it out of the podcast if we don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but be okay with people not liking you. Being a leader, you have to make decisions that some people don't like, even if they're the right decisions. Now, hopefully... If it's the wrong decision, like Sean said, you'll admit that you were wrong, ask for forgiveness, and, and try to move past that. But sometimes you'll make the right decision. Other people will even agree with you that it's the right decision, but there's some people that are not going to like the decision you made. And because of that, are not going to like you. And it's really easy to take that personally. When I was teaching, especially the first couple of years that I taught, and I'm sure most, te- uh, most people that have taught have experienced this, you want the students to like you. And it's, it was easy for me to soften decisions that I would make or calling out students because I didn't want the students to not like me. As I got older, I started just making the decisions, and I finally got to the point where I was just okay. Uh, a certain student didn't like that I had given them a zero on a paper because they turned it in way late or they had plagiarized and they got a zero. They were not happy. Their parents were not happy. <laughs> but I knew that I'd made the right decision, and I just... I still didn't like the
2: feeling mm-hmm. of people not liking me, but I, I kind of made peace with it. Mm-hmm. Delegation. This is related to, I, I wanted to bring, relate this to what I said about decisions. So you have to be okay with making decisions. On the other hand, you shouldn't provide a crutch uh, for people who should be dealing with their own problem or or their own responsibility. So empower other people to make decisions. Don't take them all on yourself. Um, if you expect a lot of other people, usually they will actually deliver on that. Occasionally they will make mistakes, but hey, we do too. So it's a way to it's a way to train, and it's also a way to avoid uh, becoming a dictator.
0: We need integrity. We need to be genuine, real all the time. Don't be someone in secret when your office door is closed and another person when Bob walks through the door and a different person when Jane walks through the door. You have to be consistent and true in order to uh, to be an effective leader.
1: I think you need to, to pardon the idiom, uh, grab the bull by the horns. In other words, don't stay away from problems and from strife as long as possible. Usually they're not going to solve themselves. You need to get in there and
2: do what you can to try to take care of the issue. I had two points here that related uh, one it's kind of actually related to what James says. One is don't let don't let problems fester. The other one is don't be hasty. <laughs> so and I <clears throat> have done both. I remember a number of years back I asked the management team to give me some critique or feedback and one of the things was that I was too hasty. And so well, there's a healthy balance between there's a problem, let's not let it fester and create more problems. And just hastily uh, jumping in and being like, I'm going to take care of this problem now. And actually that can create issues too. And so it can depend on the situation. We need wisdom to know uh, which approach the situation calls for, but don't let things fester and don't be hasty.
0: Leaders should be readers. We already said that we don't need to have all the answers the answers don't come just from us but knowing that we don't have all the answers we can get a lot of this from our team and we should but there have been people who have been leading for generations before us there's lots of good instruction out there not all of it is excellent so you have to be you have to be a good reader study learn and then apply what you read well andrew we don't have to keep going with this list forever because there are so many good characteristics that we ought to have. But are there any final thoughts that you want to throw in there that you've learned about leadership or something that you would really don't want us to miss that you have prepared for this talk?
2: Uh, One thing that I wrote down was don't focus all your energy on one leadership role. So I think I've fallen prey to doing that, to that error where I'm at work. I have a significant leadership role there. And, and so I put a lot of energy and thought into that. And then at home, it kind of can be, well, it's just floating along and whatever happens, happens. And mm-hmm. I'm don't, I'm not, not nearly the level of intentionality at home as I, as I would have at work. So it's, can be a helpful question. And maybe this is a whole other uh, podcast, but <laughs> if, uh, If you let it work the way that you lead at home, or let's say if you let it at school or wherever it might be in the church, if you, if you led there, the way that you lead at home, would you thrive and would your people thrive? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so God calls us to responsibility and faithfulness. doesn't matter uh, where we are. I would make a plea to those of you that are listening. Don't focus all your energy on one leadership role, because if you're a, A man in probably our stage of life, uh, there's multiple places where you should be focused. And focusing on one will lead to,
0: will be to the detriment of the others. That should wrap it up for this time. I've been happy to see the download numbers going up in the past week or so. It looks like you all have found us again. If you are not a patron, but would like some way to help support the podcast, the best way is to share the podcast with someone new. We'd be delighted to have some new listeners. Thank you again for your emails. We enjoy hearing from you. Sometimes we get some fun emails like this one from Hannah. Hey, y'all. Apparently she's from the South also. Hey, y'all. Great job on the podcast. I always like listening to you talk on different subjects, and I wouldn't complain if there were more episodes. Well, lucky for you, Hannah. We do have some more episodes. Thank you for being one of our patrons. But I understand that it's a lot of work. This episode was challenging. She's talking about the episode where we were going over the digital declutter by Cal Newport. My husband jokingly said that maybe you all should just chill and embrace the whole technology situation. Honestly, though, it created some good discussion between us, so thanks. We'll be waiting to hear how the declutter goes for you before we dip our toes in those waters. Blessings. Thanks for that email, Hannah. The digital declutter is still ongoing for us. James how do you think that's going for you still hanging in there? (laughs) Uh, mostly some regression.
1: (laughs) Um, yeah, uh, just, just recently I deleted some apps back off my phone and my (laughs) tablet that I'd put back on for a little bit. So it's, uh, I think in this modern age, it's always going to be continual adjustments, um, short of just going to the Amish and getting rid of all, (laughs) getting rid of all smartphones and internet. But, uh, yeah, I think it was it was good. It's something that I actually plan to do again sometime. As far as uh, taking a fast from certain technologies, I think it was it was it was a good month, and it's something that I want to continue.
0: I've really had to wrestle with staying on top of my devices since I've been in the states for this furlough trip. I think maybe that's partly due to being less disciplined in my schedule overall. But yeah, James hit the nail on the head. It's one of those things that I think as long as we're working. Uh, with these devices, we're going to have to stay on top of them for how much time they're taking out of our lives. Andrew, have you ever done anything like a a digital declutter or what's your relationship with digital devices?
2: (laughs) What's my relationship with them? I use them all the time. (laughs) I sit at a computer at work and I'm sitting in front of a computer right now and I use my phone a lot. Actually, as a result of listening to you all, I had done something similar to this before, but I actually deleted a couple of apps off my phone that I tend to waste time on. Even now, occasionally I will, f- I will uh, catch myself, like I might be standing at home wondering what to do and I'll pop my phone out and uh, it's like, oh, I don't have anything to waste time on here. And so I'll put it back in, <laughs> I'll put it back in my phone pouch and go into something else. So
0: it's been good. Thanks for the encouragement. James and I are headed over to record our patron only podcast for what it's worth now. This week, we will be having Andrew share a topic for us. Andrew is going to tell us how we can know we're in the center of God's will. You can find that at patreon.com lookingoverlife. Again, if you have any feedback or questions, or if you have an idea for a topic we should discuss, send us an email at lookingoverlife at gmail.com. All right. See you later. Adios. Ciao. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man.
2: Hey, you didn't uh you forgot to ask me for my book recommendations.
0: <laughs> okay, well, I really wanted to hear them. So let's go ahead and hear what you, what you brought along. I mentioned
2: two of these already. One is by J. Oswald Sanders. Uh, it's called Spiritual Leadership, Principles of Excellence for Every Believer. I think it's just a solid book about leadership, and it's very it's based on the Bible. And then the other one I mentioned already was The Way of the Shepherd, Seven Secrets to Managing Productive People by Kevin Lehman and Bill Pentech. It's story- Mostly, a, mostly, it's a story, which is why I said it, it can be a little bit, I thought it was a little bit cheesy, but the principles are good. And then another book that I like, I've actually worked through with a couple of supervisors that I've worked with, um, just had them read. We would each read a chapter out of it in a week or a couple of weeks, and then we would sit down and chat about it, about what we learned or how we could apply that. It's called uh, The Top Ten Mistakes Leaders Make, Hans Fensel. Or hands, I don't know how you say his name. <laughs> Just a, it's a good book. And then uh, another couple things that I'd like to recommend if you're thinking about leadership, read read the Gospels, the stories of Jesus. Read the book of Nehemiah and read Paul's letters to uh, church leaders. And read Galatians five, twenty-two and 23, Fruit of the Spirit. And think about how to apply that in your, uh, wherever you're a leader. And then one other book that uh, is called The Effective Manager, Mark Horstman. So it's about managing, um, which we didn't get into that at all, is managing and leading the same thing, mm-hmm. and we could have a discussion about that. It's a very practical book of just things that you can do if you're in a, in a management position, how to relate to people, systems to put into place that will help you accomplish or help you to have good relationships and accomplish what you're trying to accomplish.
0: I actually came with a couple of recommendations myself and forgot to mention them earlier. I'm currently reading a book by John C. Maxwell called Good Leaders Ask Great Questions. And I picked up that book because it resonates with some truths that, uh, that I found in my own leadership journey. There is a lot of good in the book. And so I think I would recommend it to someone who was looking at how to improve their leadership. But John C. Maxwell likes to name drop and he likes to talk about what a humble and excellent leader he is himself, and so that can be a bit distasteful, but if you can get past those two things, you can find a lot of good in the book. Patrick Lencioni wrote a number of books that relate to leadership and teamwork, and I would recommend basically his whole list of books, but a favorite of mine is uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. was really helpful to me when I was having to make some or having to learn some, some valuable lessons in leading a team.
1: We talked a little bit about Andrew, especially talked about how that leading costs something. And there are a lot of leaders that end up being just completely worn out and stressed out, burned out to where they, they have to step down due to just overwork and too much stress, um, to preserve themselves, their health, their families. Recently, somebody, um, recommended this book to me, and it's called Reset, Living a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture by David Murray. It's fairly short, pretty simple, easy to read, and I highly recommend it. Anybody who sees leadership in their future or somebody who is dealing with some of the stresses that come with leadership
2: and feeling burnout, I highly recommend that book. I've got it all under control. (laughs) Great.